0: Good morning, Christchurch. Hopefully this finds all of you well and excited to, in as much as we can, come together in um, a unified heart and a unified desire to be uh, meeting together without being together. Um, our encouragement has, has been, and hopefully hopefully a number of people are going to be listening to this uh, on Sunday morning at 10.30 when we normally would be uh, gathering together for service. Um, <clears throat> so I guess that's my assumption to start things off. But nonetheless, uh, this one thing that this maybe teaches us is that we... Um, that church is really bigger than our building, right? And and so we have this opportunity to continue to worship God and to continue to sit under His Word, um, even when we're not uh, necessarily able to meet together. As we've been saying uh, the last couple weeks, um, we're going to be in uh, kind of in submission to the authorities above us, you know guiding and directing us to, to maybe take a break from being with people so that we can maybe slow the spread of this virus and all that goes with that. Um, <clears throat> hopefully this isn't going to be a too long of a hiatus meeting together, and, and if it starts to get that way, then maybe we'll be looking at different ways to, to gather together, to worship differently, maybe getting some video. I don't know how much any of you maybe care about seeing my face as I preach at you, but um, Wes and I just talked a little bit about uh, trying to find a a way to video and and all this kind of stuff, and I kind of came to this conclusion that, you know what, audio is just as good, and so that's where we are uh, with that, I guess, and so we're just going to jump into this week. Um, I'm I'm recording this uh, actually on Friday, so if I ever say a weird time, then that's why. But um, the other thing before I, I guess I jump into things is we are or maybe we are not. It's maybe not we, but, but I am kind of always in this tension. Of how much do we allow what's happening around us to dictate what we're, what we're studying or what I'm preaching on? And, and more often than not, I, I say that I believe that the whole counsel of God um, is going to ultimately teach us everything that we need to know. And that's why we most, or one of the largest reasons why we systematically go through a book of the Bible like we've been doing with John uh, is, is for that reason, right? It's, it's, is trusting that everybody's going through stuff and yeah, there's definitely times when we have a common, a common situation like we do right now or, or, you know, many people who were pastoring churches, uh, in 2001 during, during 9-11 and, and all that went on after that, you know, will say that there's, def- there's definitely times when we have this common thing and we need to, and we need to, um, and to speak to people's hearts, um, I, I uh, very much think this is different than 9/11. Obviously, it's very different than, than what was happening then. And, and quite honestly, with the amount of conversation that has been going on, I think we better, we more need to maybe have a break from the conversation. And so, and so that's kind of how I settled on that. Maybe in the next week, we'll talk about a couple different things, or I'll post a. A video or a, or a little snippet of, of my thoughts or some passages that I could encourage you in um, as, as we go forward. But right now, um, I, I would rather just turn to the Word and, and be comforted by the gospel message. And so that's kind of what we're doing uh, today. Um, we basically have to abandon our plan for going through as you as you see now the redemption story that's what our easter series uh has been called and and while we're going to kind of fit into that still we're going to kind of mix it up just a little bit Uh, we're not just going to be in leviticus today which is what the plan would have been but we're going to jump ahead again because i think here in the gospel message is what we need more than anything else right now Uh, and so i guess without any any more dilly-dallying around let's let's jump into it turn in your Bibles uh, to Leviticus chapter 16 um, most of you are going to be watching this or listening to me uh, on our website and you can you can be watching the, the video of, of the slides as well so you don't necessarily need your Bibles but you're at home so go get them and, and, and open them up hopefully that's not the first time you've picked up your Bible. Since you've been isolated, but uh, if it is, get it out and, and start reading it. Uh, it is, it is definitely the place that we should go for comfort. So Leviticus chapter 16 is where we're going to start, uh, and again, we're going to we're kind of continuing down this path through the scriptures to see how God has shown Himself uh, to be a God of the God of grace and the God of redemption, right? As, as the story has been unfolding for us. So, Leviticus chapter 16, starting in verse 1. We are going to read the whole chapter, uh, and I'll talk a little bit more about that afterward. Uh, Before I I read, let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this time. Um, Thank you for your word. Uh, I pray that you would give us comfort, give us peace in this time of turmoil. We pray that you would be the God who heals and the God who prevents. Uh, But also, Lord, and and I think maybe more importantly, remind us that you are the God who saves. Lord, in this time, we have an opportunity uh, to to share the gospel um, with people who are afraid to lose their life, who are afraid to get sick, who are afraid of so many different things, and it's a great opportunity for us to step in, for us to speak truth. to speak this truth, the truth that we're going to be thinking about and talking about today. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is the sacrifice that saves and redeems us. We pray this in his name. Amen. All right. Leviticus chapter 16, starting in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put... On the holy linen coat, and shall, he shall he shall put on the holy linen coat, and shall have the linen undergarment on his body, and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist, and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and put them on, and he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats. One lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. And he shall take care or take a census full of coals, a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten and beaten small. And he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony, so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, that is, for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkle it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place, because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel, and because of their transgressions, all of their sins. And so he shall do for the, and so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness no one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel <clears throat> then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it And shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. And when he has made an end of anointing, atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the living goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. And the goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area and he shall let the goat free in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place and put on his garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself And for the people. And the fat of the sin offering shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement for the holy place, shall be carried outside of the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And it shall be a statute to you forever, that in the seventh month, on the seventh day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, neither the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made, For you to cleanse you, you shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. And he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting, and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for his for the priests and for all the people of the assemb- of the assembly and this shall be a statute forever for you that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. and Aaron did this did as the Lord commanded Moses. So, like I mentioned earlier, what I want to do with this particular passage um, is kind of give us the starting point for what we'll get to in a minute when we get to our Hebrews passage. So much of our understanding of what Christ has done for us comes from the Old Testament and comes particular, particularly from the book of Leviticus as we understand the sacrificial system, and even more so understand the, the, the Day of Atonement and what happens on the Day of Atonement. And some of the reason why I wanted to take and read that really rather long passage for, for something that I'm not going to necessarily break down as we uh, normally would do. I'll, I'll do a little bit more of that in the book of Hebrews. Uh, not much more, but a little bit more is that that there's there's this kind of constant tension, this really, the church has done uh, a poor job at encouraging believers to be reading the Old Testament and and to be understanding the Old Testament, because what happens in the Old Testament really does play a a, a humongous, a humongous part uh, of how we understand the New Testament, understand what Christ has done for us. And so... I know that there are are many people who have read this, but but the reality is is that uh, the book of Leviticus is not all that exciting. Uh, It's it's one of those books. I know that I am the oddity. I'm the oddball in in the bunch uh, that finds the book of Leviticus and and the rest of the the first couple books of the Bible where we find all of the law and all all that that comes with that. Right? Um, I'm the weird one that that is, is... thinks that's fascinating and really wants to do the, the deep dive into this, which, man, I would really encourage all of us to do, is to is to kind of dig into some of this in the Old Testament so that we can best understand what's going on in the New. Uh, the Day of Atonement, of, of all the things that we can look to in the Old Testament, the Day of Atonement is one of those uh, that's really very critical to how we understand the new testament and and in my opinion it's it's one of the most encouraging pieces of the law that we find in in the scriptures because it is such a beautiful picture beautiful story beautiful example of how of how god is the god of grace and redemption uh, not the god of, of of wrath and anger like so many of us think god is and so what I would like to do is just really quickly, uh, sort of really quickly go through uh, this passage and, and talk about what's happening. Uh, what, what trips most people up with the book of Leviticus in particular is that it's very, very repetitive. It's repetitive in a number of ways. Number one. It, it repeats phrases a lot, you know, thus says the Lord is said a very, very many times in the book of Leviticus. And, and that kind of repetition doesn't usually bother us and it doesn't usually trip us up. It's the repetition of a particular thing that, that is just being talked about more than one time, often, often many times through the book. And what we see in chapter 16 is this process of cleansing. And at least how I understand it, at least how I read it and and have read it and studied it, is that the commands for Aaron, who is the high priest, to cleanse himself, to cleanse his house, to cleanse the the holy place, the assembly, the altar, all this stuff, all these things that Aaron is commanded to do or the high priest is commanded to do, is repeated a couple times throughout for a couple reasons. I think there are two things that we really have to we really have to see or to learn or to understand out of this particular passage. The first is the seriousness of everything that's happening. It's the seriousness of everything that's happening. We have <sighs> We have a a very, we do two two things wrong, right? We, number one, forget that God is our Savior. We forget that God is our Savior. Um, And we get caught up in our sin and we forget to let our sin go, which we'll talk about here again in a second. And, and probably more often in our culture, we forget the, the seriousness of sin. And one of the reasons why uh, two weeks ago we talked about the the infection of sin, right? We go from Adam and Eve, uh, you know, make, sin separates us from God, to Cain and Abel, sin separates us from brother, to, to Lamech, who sin separates us from family to to everybody every thought every intention of the thought of man is only evil continue right what what we were talking about a couple weeks ago is this infectious nature this infectious nature of sin that just spreads and it seeps and it goes everywhere and and, and one of the one of the problems i think problems that arises out of our culture is this idea that sin and evil and that wickedness is just it's it's not that big a deal and this can this idea can come from multiple different places right it can come from multiple different places it can come from thinking little of God and therefore little of His commands, but it also can come from thinking little of, of grace where we think that, that God's gracious work for us means that He doesn't care about sin and about wickedness, which is what Paul and the rest of the New Testament writers really rail on through through many of the letters, this idea that, that there's, this isn't a license to sin. God does not save you, you know, we should not go on sinning, as Paul says in Romans, don't don't go on sinning so that grace may abound. That's not what grace is for. Grace is for freedom. But what we learn most practically, maybe speaking, out of the book of Leviticus, and in particular out of the story of the Day of Atonement, out of this passage, chapter 16, in the Day of Atonement, is the seriousness and the brevity that sin is. I think one of the main reasons why the sacrificial system is complex and at times repetitive is because it's really easy for us to think that sin is no big deal. And that what it has done doesn't really affect me outside of our understanding of God has called me to be holy, and I want to be holy. Oh, sin otherwise doesn't matter. It certainly does, right? It's so what we met what we were talking about when we were talking about Adam and Eve and the fall of man in Genesis chapter three a couple weeks ago. that sin corrupts. Not just our hearts and the hearts of those who come after us, but it corrupts the world that is around us. It harms us. And not to try to put a point on what's happening in our world with with the coronavirus. Coronavirus is, is just one way... That we see physically and, and and visibly see the ramification of sin in this world. Sickness and, and death and fear and panic are all they're all byproducts of of sin. They're byproducts of sin. And I think this is what we see most obviously. In Leviticus 16. So let me quickly take you through all of the bits and pieces that's happening to try to show you my why I think this. The first thing that is is being told here. Now this is happening way at the beginning of the story, right? So this is this is the this is the people of Israel have come out of the land of Egypt. They they've celebrated Passover. This is not part of the Passover. This is not part of the Passover celebration. Sometimes we we get this mixed up. This is actually coming on a different day of the year. Today it's called Yom Kippur. Um, I think, hopefully, I'm right on that, but that's, that's always what I've assumed. But sorry if I'm wrong. Anyway, so this is a different this is a different situation. So what what's supposed to happen is what what God is establishing is the people of Israel are to, to gather together as a as a whole congregation, as a, the whole assembly of the people of Israel. And when God makes this this command, or when he sets up this yearly pattern, the people of Israel are still living in the wilderness. They're wandering around. They've come out of Egypt. They've they've gone and they they, they have not entered into the land of of Canaan to take possession of it to make it Israel. They haven't done that yet. And so they're wandering around in the in the land in the in the wilderness and what essentially they're doing is they're following and living in tents. They're following the the tabernacle, and so God will move them from one place to another through through the the, the cloud of fire or the or the uh, the pillar of smoke. Right. So He moves them from place to place. And what happens when God moves is the the Levitic the Levites, excuse me, they tear the temple down or the tabernacle down and they take it to the next place and they build it back up and the people do the same thing with their tents and they follow God wherever He leads. But pretty much that means that all of the Israelites, all of the descendants of of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, (coughs) all of them are living very close to the temple, to the tabernacle. Now, as sin continues to infect the people of Israel, it becomes harder and harder and harder for this to be a reality. To the point where, uh, in in Jesus' day, in from ancient historians, Jewish historians, people like Josephus, they didn't even they actually stopped making this celebration for many, many years because it was too difficult. Because people were all over the known world, so this is what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to gather together and they're to. Worship God as all of this is going on. So God tells, the Lord tells Moses, this is what I want you to do. First of all, don't think yourself clean enough as a high priest, or tell the priestly the priestly line, those in the lineage of Aaron, that they should not assume that because they're priests, they're perfect. Because they're not. They're sinners. And what had just taken place is that Aaron's two sons had presumed that they were good enough to just enter into God's presence whenever they wanted. And this is an establishment that God is holy and He's other and He's beyond us. I mean, this is something that we need to learn in the Old Testament so that we understand the magnitude of what it means for God to descend and live among us. Man with, or God with us. Emmanuel is not this run-of-the-mill, everyday thing that's happening. It's the God of the universe who is so holy and so pure that even the presence of priests is not acceptable. He has come to dwell with man. So God says to Moses, look, make sure that this doesn't happen again. Make sure that this doesn't happen again. So on the Day of Atonement, here's the process. Here's what I want to happen. When Aaron, who is currently the high priest, or any high priest who comes after him, is, is, is about to perform the duties of the, the Day of Atonement, this is what you need to do. You need to get your special clothes and their, their, their special linen garments. You need to make sure that your body is clean, physically clean. Wash yourself with water. And then you're going to go through this series of of anointings, or atonements, excuse me. And atonement simply means a, a payment being made, or a covering being given. You're going to take this thing that is not, is not worthy, and you're going to do something to it to make it worthy. The Day of Atonement. This is, so this is kind of the theme of the whole day. And so they come out, and so Aaron's supposed to get on his... Special clothes, and he is supposed to take. He's supposed to first sacrifice for himself. We're told that he is supposed to take a bull and a ram. The bull is for the sin offering. The ram is for a burnt offering. And This reminds us that that most of the sacrifices that happen on uh, through the book of Leviticus through the through the law in the Old Testament are not sin sacrifices. There are a great, very many different types of sacrifice that happen in the Old Testament law. We kind of think that that how it was set up is that I sin, I tell a little white lie, and I'm supposed to go sacrifice. You know, it was a small sin, so I'm going to just sacrifice a, a small animal. That's actually not true, not really that true. Yes, there are definitely times where you are as an individual going to, and, and to make a sacrifice because of a sin. Things like when David lays with Bathsheba, and then has her husband Uriah killed in battle. And God confronts David with Nathaniel and, Nathan- and David repents of this, and he makes sacrifices. He offers, he offers sin sacrifices, the day of atonement. Aaron or the high priest after him, any high priest who comes after him is supposed to make a sin offering for the sins that are his and his alone or his and a, 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 by association, his families, his household. So yes, there are definitely those sacrifices, but there's also also Thanksgiving sacrifices. When you have a a good crop or you have a child born or or something that you're thankful for, it's an act of worship to God that you bring this sacrifice to Him. Or or a sacrifice for the harvest. There's actually a a whole feast that happens because of a harvest. Every year they're supposed to sacrifice. And do these things as thanksgivings, or as or as an offering of of praise and worship to God, or or just a sweet smelling aroma to Him. These are all acts of worship. And the reason why that's important that we distinguish that, and it's important that we make sure that we understand that not all sacrifices that are being made are for sins, is because we could think that all of the people have already made sacrifice for all of the sins they've already committed. And what is this? Just a double sacrifice? Is God really that greedy for more lambs? No, that's that's not at all what happens. Yes, there's continual sacrifice sacrifices being made, and there's sacrifice being made for individual sins and individual families and, and all that kind of stuff. But by and large, most of the people are not making regular sacrifices for their particular Sins, and so they all come together. Aaron is gonna—he's gonna atone himself. He's gonna go through this huge process. He's gonna sacrifice for himself. He's gonna sacrifice. He's gonna take some of that blood. He's gonna sprinkle it on the on the mercy seat, which is which is Ark of the Covenant, it's the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, and he's going he's gonna sanctify the. The, the, the altar and the rooms and all this. He's going to go through this big, long, complex and, and, and at times, I'm sure, extremely frustrating process to make sure everything is clean because sin is serious. Sin is serious. And I, I really do think that it's It's truly a problem, theologically and doctrinally a problem, to minimize the seriousness of sin. We are forgiven by the work of Christ Jesus. But if we do not understand the magnitude in the hurt that sin inflicts, we do not understand the magnitude in the beauty of the grace we've received. I really do think that it's just that simple. If I don't understand... The the debt the 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 size of the debt that I have, I don't understand the size of the forgiveness of that debt. If I think my mortgage is ten dollars and somebody comes and pays it off, I'm gonna think very little of that payment. But if my mortgage is, you know, $10, $10 million, my mortgage is not $10 million. It feels like it's... A, I'm going to have a much different appreciation of that of that sacrifice, of that gift, of that grace given to me, that payment being made for me. And I think that's what's being established in the Old Testament law, this idea that, that sin is continual, sin is, it is infectious, and sin is serious in the eyes of... Of God. But what's most beautiful about this passage is that it shows us that even in the law, we see that God is grace. So we go through this whole process of cleansing everything that might be might be encountered and we make the first sacrifice so you have these two goats one is made as a as an offering as a sin offering to the Lord and the other is brought before the high priest brought before Aaron and he lays his hands on on the lamb's head and he as a conduit right he passes the sin from himself or from the people through himself into this Lamb, and and it is symbolic. We're going to learn this out of Hebrews in just a minute, but this isn't a symbolic act. This is not what saves the people. What saves the people is Jesus. This is a placeholder. What saves the people is the graciousness of their God. Not this little lamb. But it's it's a symbol. It's showing us something, and so Aaron lays his hands on the on the lamb's head and and passes all of the sins of himself, his family, and his people. All the while, at this particular time in history, like two million Israelite people are standing assembled together, witnessing their sins and their brokenness and all that comes with that being being taken from them and being passed into this lamb and I can just I can just imagine the joy and the praise that goes up from this congregation as they witness this. And then and he, he then he passes it on to this representative and this representative leads the lamb out of the community. Leads lamb out of the community and leaves it. Brothers and sisters, loved ones of, of God, we do not see this taking action in our lives. We talk about how Christ has died for us. He's paid a debt. And, he, and he's even... He's even freed us. He's broken the bonds of death. He, 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 he rose from the grave and, and, and death. Where is your sting? And we're, and we're so happy about this. And then, and then tomorrow morning as I get up and I go out and I continue to be broken, I continue to live knowing and believing and living as a sinner. The reason why there's two sacrifices. One is that it is burnt up, it is consumed, and it is cleansed, and it is gone. The other is taken out of sight. And it is left. It's not killed out there. It's not destroyed out there. It's left. And it is forgotten. Because the sin that was plaguing the people of Israel, and the sin that, that was continuously being needing, needing to be sacrificed, is being taken out of the lives of the people, and it is being removed from the community, never to be thought of, never to be seen again. So loved ones, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, if you have sin in your life, if you believe that Jesus died for you, your sin is paid for, but your sin is also gone. It's such a, it's such a beautiful thing. Now, before I get caught up in so many other interesting little details, let's move forward to the book of Hebrews. Let's move forward to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Again, if you have your Bibles, get those back out, open them back up. Hebrews, chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 1 to 18. For since the law has but a shadow of a, of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. But before I go any further, we got to look at this for a second. So here's what here's what the author of Hebrews is saying in just this one verse. It, he says, for since the law is just a shadow now as, as I was going through Leviticus 16 I, I sure hope that some of you started to hear the the, the, the story of, of Christ's work in his death on the cross he is the sacrifice that is now, now the true sacrifice and like I like I said a minute ago, The sacrifice that we talk about on the Day of Atonement, the sacrifice that we read about in in Leviticus 16, it's just this this placeholder so that we can get and we can grasp and understand who Jesus is, what he has done for us. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead instead of the true form of these realities, the true form of these realities is Jesus can never, can never by the same sacrifice continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near it's not enough it's not enough well that that might be that might be that might sadden us a little bit but let's keep going otherwise otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered so now let's think about this logically our author says let's think about this logically if this was if this was sufficient. Why do we keep on sacrificing? Remember, they take the sin and they take it out of the community. It's gone. It's done. It's out. Forget it. And yet, next seventh month, tenth day of the month, we're going to do it all over again. So why? Why? Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. The reason why this sacrificial system is here is to show us our sinfulness. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, and here's the good news, brothers and sisters when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body. Have you prepared for me? In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. This is Christ speaking to God, as, as it is written of me in this scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. Now, our author here, he's not contradicting what Jesus says when he says that he's not going to, he hasn't come to abolish the law, he's come to fulfill the law. And by, by fulfilling the law, he has eliminated the need for the first order sacrifices. And by that, will we have been we will have been sacrificed, sanctified, excuse me, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. This is where we lose out in meeting over the internet. And by that, will we have been sanctified through the offering? body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which never came, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he didn't continue to stand he didn't repeat the sacrifice like the priest. He sat down at the right hand of God. Waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for Jesus is our perfect high priest who is sufficient for the task. He doesn't need to go through the process that Aaron had to go through. We read that in other places in Hebrews. I think the reason why I love Hebrews so much, and will concur with what Max was saying last month during how poignantly we understand what Christ has done for us. It's His work that has completed the payment. It's His work that has completed the need. It's His work that has done all that is necessary To reconcile me to my God and to my Savior. It's His Word that is offered freely to me, to you, to all who might be listening to this. Freely offered to you, a sinner freely offer forgiveness reconciliation and freedom for the sins that weigh me down no longer have a hold on me they have been paid for by the blood of Christ Have been taken by the Lamb of God out of the community, never to be thought of again. Brothers and sisters, loved ones of God, where there is forgiveness of sin, there is no longer any. Praise him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Jesus. In the midst of storms of life, we thank You for this confidence, this trust, this hope that we have. crazy